Welcome everyone to today's episode of Take Note with Muse West Concerts. My name is Jennifer West and we are joined by a very special guest all the way from New York City. We are joined by fantastic pianist and band leader Emmett Cohen. Emmett, how are you doing today? Hey Jen, it's nice to speak with you. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm doing well considering uh, the state of the world. I'm doing quite well. Thank you. And um, we just want to say thank you for your, your trio performances on Monday. Um, you and your trio decided to kind of keep a quarantine bubble so you're able to make music throughout most of the more difficult parts of the pandemic. How did that go? Uh, well, we got off the road actually from um, Canada, of all places. Um, Manitoba, we were there uh, right uh, it was the last gig we were going to play and we weren't sure we were going to do it. There were three shows in Winnipeg and they um, said to, you know, they said, okay, we're going to keep the shows. And we didn't know, you know, we heard about some bands getting canceled on stage. They were about to do, they were about to start performing. They're like, no, no, this is over. We all have to go or during sound check. And so I kept thinking that's, that was going to happen. But then we ended up playing all the shows that weekend and we played knowing it was going to be our last show for quite some time in front of an audience and some brave people came out and it was, uh, it was a really soulful experience actually. Um, and, and so we came back as a trio and started quarantining together. We took two planes home and we're already uh, uh, together. So that's how that worked. And we decided, uh, you know, that we wanted to uplift people and keep playing music for us, but for also for other people. Like uh, we say in yoga class, uh, you do this for yourself and something uh, more than just yourself. That's so true. Do you practice yoga, Emmett? Yes, I do. That's wonderful. We <laughs> have been for three years, so all things considered, I'm still relatively new, but, um, but it's, it's a big part of my life always, uh, especially since I had some lower body uh, uh, physical ailments. And so that's, uh, it's really been helping me uh, physically and also mentally and uh, fun. And there are a lot of parallels improv improvisation and um, mm. just the fact that you never really uh, achieve perfection. You know, it's always a work in progress like music. That is so true. And I think it helps prevent injuries for musicians as well. Yeah, that's, 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 that's an important thing too. Luckily I have good posture at the piano, so I <laughs> haven't had any piano related injuries. That's very helpful. And um, you're based up in Harlem, uh, the heart of jazz history in, in New York. Incredible. So if a group of people came to New York and were there for three nights for a jazz tour, where would you take them and where would they have dinner each night <laughs> before the show? Um, well, that's two, two completely different uh, questions. But I think uh, for me, you know, there, there's, there's uptown, there's midtown, and there's downtown. And so when I first moved to New York, um, I lived on 109th Street, which is getting uptown. Um, it's not really considered uptown anymore. A lot of musicians live up to up, to, up in the 200s, even in Inwood. Um, but I would go to uh, Smoke, which I live right, right, I lived right nearby, go into Smoke, check it out. Then I would go down uh, to 59th Street and go to Dizzy's and check it out. Then I would go down to, to, to Smalls and check Smalls out, um, which is down on, on West 10th Street, um, and maybe another club like the Zinc Bar or the Blue Note, I mean, or the Blue Note or the Fat Cat or Mesro or something like that, which actually didn't exist when I first moved to town, Mesro. Um, so that 
you know, I would hit all the spots. So um, I think it largely depends who's playing where. I tend to follow the musician more than the club, but I think it's cool for, for maybe someone to get one night uptown, one night midtown, you know, Birdland and, and Dizzy's, and then one night downtowns, checking out the Village Vanguard, which is very important, and um, the most important jazz club in the city, definitely. And then there's the other spots down there, Smalls and Mesro are, are, are important to get a feel for the jazz scene and what New York City has to offer. I definitely agree, and I recognize most of those names. I visited in 2017 uh, Village Vanguard and was able to hear Bad Plus. Ethan, nice. It was it was it was amazing. Um, I was blown away by their drummer. (laughs) Yeah, and and just the room, the sound in the room is 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 something magical, and it's captured on so many records. Uh, and it's a real experience and the vibration is something we miss now in this in this era of no live concerts at home (laughs) that's right and where would you take this jazz tour group for a dinner let's say uptown where would you take them uptown oh my god um there's so many places (laughs) yeah you put me on the spot uh maybe you know, maybe we can knock both both jazz and dinner out at, at the Red Rooster. Um, that's that's kind of a Harlem staple, and you can get a feel for the people in Harlem um, and the ambiance, um, as well as some good music downstairs at Jimmy's Supper Club. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's a few of our listeners that have, obviously, they visited New York, they've been there for checking out jazz or classical concerts. What makes New York such a special city for jazz? Uh, I think what makes New York such a special city in general is is the diversity. And <clears throat> there are so many different kinds of people. There's so many different um, cultures that all blend together, that all meld together. Um, and the pace of the city is, is extremely high. Um, you know, the fervor which people get around on the subway, which people are walking to, you know, their meetings or to work or coming home. And when it rains, how people are acting and dealing. Um, it's, it's just, a, it's a very unique place. And, uh, you know, you, you can always tell a New Yorker when you're somewhere else, you're like, oh man, you must be, you're, you're, you're talking at that pace. You're experiencing life at that pace. You must be a New Yorker. Um, and there's something about that pace that also gives the music that energy and that, and that flow. I definitely yeah. agree. And I felt that. And, um, I usually, when I go to New York, I usually don't get more than three hours sleep per night, but, yeah. but I don't leave tired. <laughs> it's weird. Fully energized, yeah. Fully energized and completely soul just replenished. Um, run us through um, a typical day before a show. Like, let's, let's say it's not a travel day. You're already in the city where the venue is. What's your typical day like before, before a show? Let's say you have a set at 7.30 and 9.30. How does it look? Uh, well, it just depends. I mean, everyone has real world obligations. I mean, you know, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like almost, almost once or twice a week, I find myself doing, doing uh, a couple of errands. I mean, I'm always going to the dry cleaner. I'm always going to the post office. I'm always going to the bank and I'm always, um, I feel like there was one more. (laughs) I can't remember what it is. Um, but those, those are, you know, some things that I'm, that I'm doing usually try to get some exercise, um, definitely practice. Sometimes I'm teaching lessons. Um, you know, in all honesty, I haven't really been home that much, uh, in the past couple of years. Um, and so it was more, it's, it's more laid out for you. So, uh, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you wake up and you 
go to the airport and you go somewhere and then you go to sound check and go to the um, hotel after that and you change and you go to the concert and then you have dinner with the donors or, or supporters or, uh, or, or, or somebody, you know, in town afterwards, and then you kind of rinse and repeat. And so being home is kind of a break from that. So also I just like to relax, you know. Have you kind of enjoyed being at home away from a hectic travel schedule? Has it allowed you to explore arrangements or work on things that you wouldn't have had time to do before? Yeah, there's definitely a lot more time and a lot of our time was taken up traveling and moving from, from one place to another. And obviously there are no gigs. So there's been a lot of time to think. There's been a lot of time to um, sit on the yoga mat and improve there. There's been a lot of time to read. Uh, I haven't really uh, gotten to cook much in the last number of years. So that's been another thing. And, you know, all those, all those things practicing and I live nearby the band. So at least in the first part of the pandemic, we were getting together pretty regularly and rehearsing and, um, and, and trying to develop some new repertoire and new concepts for the band, which we get to try out on Monday nights. And if people don't know, you all have to check out Emmett Cohen's Facebook and YouTube on Mondays at 4.30 Pacific, 7.30 Eastern Time, and all other time zones. Do your own math. <laughs> but it is superb. I've watched basically kind of from the beginning, and the equipment and the tech have just exponentially improved and they're just sounding amazing. And um, they have special guests coming in now that things are becoming a bit more safe. And it's been fantastic. Now, Emmett, you've studied both classical and jazz music. And this in and of itself, this is like an incredible feat. It's kind of rare. Um, but on your website, you talk about jazz being the way that you can communicate so deeply with other people. How does the jazz idiom allow you to communicate the deepest level of humanity? Well, when we, um, when we play together, um, when we play by ourselves, when we play in the style, uh, it's largely based on improvisation. And that's one thing that differentiates it from a lot of other types of music, um, that there is, there's this intrinsic improvisation. It's like we're, just, we're speaking now. We haven't predetermined what we're going to say. Uh, we haven't uh, decided on a set routine for this interview we haven't or this podcast we haven't uh and we, we we've talked before we know each other and 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 uh and we we have some frames of reference and we have a language that we're using but other than that the possibilities are, are kind of endless and anything could happen and i feel like that is the real um thing that provides that 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 sense of connectivity in a live performance when it's improvisational music it's that you never know what's going to happen. That's why the live streams are, are exciting too. You just never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to ring up and come up, you know, to my apartment and, and sit in on the last tune. You never know, um, you know, what the other musicians are going to bring that day, what happened in their day that, that, that you, then we'll, you'll experience um, through, through, through their experience and, and what you can create um, on the spot together, I think. Uh, and then bringing that, to the to other people who are receiving the music who are there as part of the energy in the room or over the stream or wherever jazz exists um that is that that's part of the connectivity as well and all those factors make it so that you never have a night or a or, or a song or a performance or a, a run that's the same and that sort of um improvisational style and all of those factors that you've just mentioned, it makes it very exciting. And it also makes it that as a jazz musician, you just have to be listening so carefully to what your band members are doing and what your brothers on stage are sharing with you. 
or sisters. Brothers, yeah, brothers <laughs> and sisters. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 cool because you you, um, you you put your trust in other people too, and when you're able to trust them, then uh, then they, then they're more apt to listen to you, and you you back to them. And listening is key, and trust is key, and and understanding the language is key as well. Well, it's so clear that Kyle and Russell have your back. <laughs> <laughs> and you have their back too. It's it's just fantastic, and um, so we've we've talked a bit about um, sort of you've studied both classical and jazz, and mentorship seems to be a really important aspect of how your career has gone. Both with you being a mentor, uh, you've mentioned you're doing a bit of teaching, um, but you on your social media. You're recording some wonderful conversations with people that are mentors to you when you're out on tour, and you're um, you're making albums with these mentors. Uh, can you tell us who have been some of your critical mentors in jazz, and how do you plan to share that wealth of knowledge with young jazz musicians? Um, well, a lot of my heroes um, are in the eldest generation. And that is something that I, I discovered early on in jazz that, that there are people that were around Charlie Parker that are still alive. There are people who are around Louis Armstrong, who played with Louis Armstrong, who learned from Thelonious Monk, um, who, who, who shared the bandstand with Miles Davis. And those are the people that I wanted to seek and, and hear from and understand the music on a deeper level. So um, some of the people I've been able to play with and record with are uh, Ron Carter, Jimmy Heath, uh, Jimmy Cobb, Albert Tootie Heath, uh, George Coleman, um, Houston Person, who I was on the phone with earlier today, uh, Sheila Jordan, Mary Stallings, Freddie Cole, um, the list, Barry Harris, Harold Mayburn, um, the list goes on and on. And these people were around um, in, in, a, in, a, in another era and another time. And uh, to fully understand the scope of the music. Um, I've made it my mission to be around these people. I also have other mentors like Christian McBride, Herlin Riley, um, and Brian Lynch, Ali Jackson, um, people like that who, who took me under my wing when I first started playing or first moved to New York. And, you know, I have like to have a wide uh, scope of, of influences and mentors um, who have all experienced the music so differently and have something completely fresh and new and, and exciting to bring to it. And all that has affirmed, um, affirmed me in, in, in my quest to be myself. And that's, I think, the biggest lesson. So by being myself, I can teach the lessons of all the other jazz masters um, to, to people who come after me. And that sort of authenticity is something that we see in your trio all the time. And it wasn't Ron Carter on kind of blue was he on that album mm-hmm. okay he i wish miles davis <laughs> album was he on because i learned about this in jazz class <laughs> you want to edit that one out Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit lots of things out don't worry jimmy jimmy cobb you start with him okay okay got it um makes sense okay so We've been listening to the Master's Legacy albums that you've um, been producing and performing on. These are fantastic. Um, wherever people are listening to music, go find them. Um, I think you can get them directly on your website. Is that right, Emmett? Okay, so that's the best place to go ahead to get them. 
Um, can you tell our audience a bit more about this Master's Legacy project and how you approach those people to work with them and what that project means to you? Of course, all of the Jazz Masters are so different. Um, they all have their own style. They all have their own method of communication. They'll have their own disposition, just like all of your friends and family. Um, and so I've approached them in different ways and I, I made it my mission to be around these people. So I would go and I would hear Jimmy Cobb every chance I, I had at Smoke Jazz Club where I could be up next to the drums or I could say hello. Um, uh, I took lessons uh, at the new school, actually. A friend of mine, Alexander Claffey, he took lessons with Jimmy Cobb and I sat in on those lessons. Alex plays bass and I play piano, obviously, and Jimmy Cobb plays drums, if you don't know anything about jazz. And so we would play trio for his lessons and I got to meet him, you know, even deep, deeper that way. And we would have lunch afterwards and, be, you know, developed a relationship. And, um, you know, when it came time for me to have an opportunity with Vancouver's own Corey Weeds to make a record, um, I was able to call Mr. Cobb and ask him if he would do this. And uh, he uh, agreed because he knew me and he trusted me. And, and uh, you know, all the, all the jazz musicians love to record because that's how you leave a legacy. And so that's, uh, that's part of my legacy will be recording with, with, with jazz masters. And unfortunately, Mr. Cobb's no longer with us. And, um, you know, we share that experience and many others. And I know that I have Jimmy Cobb's time feel ingrained in my heart and ingrained in my soul. And I have his spirit and his energy. And when I touch the piano and hit the bandstand, I always think of him and, uh, and, and consider all the things that he taught me by telling me and all the things that he taught me by showing me. That's an, ama yeah. that's an that's amazing it. treasure to keep with you. And um, would you have any tips for a lot of young high school kids are really starting to appreciate jazz, and would you give them any tips on arranging? How, how should they start out? Um, imitation is the best way to start out. It's like when you... Uh, when you're first uh, learning to speak, you listen to your parents, you listen to what other people are saying, and you copy the words and you say them back. And it's the same when learning any language, jazz is no different. Um, it, it helps to learn uh, what, um, what, what people have said and how they said it and the inflections which, they said it, which they've said it with and, and arrangements. And that applies for arrangements and playing and transcribing and all the stuff. Um, all the information is there on, on, on records. And there are people that genuinely want to help and genuinely want to teach. Um, and so you have to know, be smart and know who to, who, who, to, who to be around. It's really important. Again, we come back to this topic of picking mentors that are um, going to push you and support you and be encouraging. And I think that we see that in the classical world too, that, um, the teachers, it's just so critical to your development and it's just wonderful. Um, maybe now moving into a more challenging and timely topic, um, there's recently been a lot of discussions about equity and systemic racial injustice um, in North America and these, these issues have been really brought to society's attention now. And I'm wondering, um, what are some of the lessons that jazz history or the history of jazz music can teach us about these topics and can be relevant for us to learn from today? Um, wow. Uh, okay, so, so 
the, the history of jazz largely mirrors the history of America in the 20th century. Um, and I think when you're considering jazz, it's important to know um, what Willie Lyon Smith uh, always said, and that is that jazz music comes from any place uh, where there are human beings struggling. And particularly in America, um, leading uh, from slavery all the way into Jim Crow, all the way uh, into systemic inequality like we have now um, and continue to have and, are continue, and continue to fight against, that is um, a major issue um, and a major um, hiccup in, in, in humanity. And I think that jazz, blues, and uh, spirituals, um, gospel, church, all the, all, all, the, all the Black American music, which jazz is a Black American art form. Um, and I think it's important to remember that and that the, largely the creators of this, of this art form that we stand on the shoulders of and play their music and teach their lessons, the Thelonious Monks, the Bud Powells, you know, the Louis Armstrong, the uh, Fats Wallers, Billie Holiday's, Sarah Vaughan, Dizzy Gillespie, the geniuses of the 20th century um, that invented this music. Uh, they all came from that experience and they were inventing this music um, out of necessity. And it was a horrible thing in this country that the people that were these geniuses couldn't work in New York City because they didn't have a cabaret card. They weren't able to stay in hotels when they traveled to the South. Um, they, there's, there, there's, there's just so much wrong with, uh, with America in general, especially America in the 20th century that we um, are striving now to and working to, to um, create some justice and create some equality and make sure that, uh, that, that future generations um, don't have to experience like the past generations um, have. And we're grateful for all those musicians um, that create American art form um, so that we're able to play it and we're able to honor them uh, each time we hit the bandstand. Do you think jazz music can help heal some of these divisions? Um, yeah, music and art, art, art heals, art heals um, and art, uh, com comments on and art makes worse and fuels the fire and then art makes you think art makes you think and uh, makes you experience the the, the real um, the real feelings of life in your own way and through the scope of others as well and I think that art in this time yeah yes it, it definitely can help heal um, but it can it, it can make you feel a lot of things and healing is just one of them and maybe actually becoming uncomfortable because of the art is part of the healing process because maybe people need to be uncomfortable for a while. Yeah, and I think part of the, what this time is teaching us is that it's okay to have uncomfortable discussions. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay not to be perfect. Um, but what you're striving for is a, is, a, is, a, is a better world and a more equal world and one where we consider the past and make sure that we move in the opposite direction of that in whatever way we can. It's going to be a very interesting year. <laughs> it already has been the craziest year that I think anybody has in memory. But with, a, with an election coming up, um, a presidential election in November, it'll be also something to watch very carefully and observe how 
things either settle or don't settle or it's just a very wow it's a busy time <laughs> well, it definitely is and it was i think there were similar feelings like that in, in the 60s and during the civil rights movement mm -hmm. um, uh, various feelings like that during vietnam there were various feelings and that's that's another lesson i've learned from all the um, elders i've been around that that you know we've had difficult times before in this world in this country and that uh that you know it's important to consider them it's important to have those uncomfortable conversations and it's important to protest if that's something you believe in it's important to vote can you say that louder for the people in the back <laughs> to vote. thank you you know, there's, 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 there's many, many things that you can do, and it's important for us musicians to play our, our music and spread our message, and, uh, and you know, try to, well, like Martin Luther King said, the, the moral arc of justice always bends towards justice. <laughs> we hope so, too. Um, I think that that gives us a lot to think about in terms of um, art's power to get us thinking um, and to to move us into our zone of discomfort for conversations that have needed to happen for a long time. Um, I know the classical music world is also having these conversations right now, and it's gotten awkward at certain points. But I think that um, I think it's just it's necessary at this point. So um, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And now we're going to conclude our our interview here, our our time with Emmett Cohen. Emmett, what are your three jazz albums that you would have to take with you to a desert island? You, you have to take only three. <laughs> uh, um, hmm. You know, that, that, would, that would change depending on when you asked me um, and, and what period of my life I was in when you asked me. Um, but I think one would be, uh, one would be Solo Monk. Mm -hmm. San Francisco, maybe. Um, and Thelonious Monk alone at the piano, I think, is, is some of the, the great genius of, 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 our, of our lifetime. I mean, not my lifetime, but of our you know, humanity's lifetime here. Um, I think Ahmed Jamal, Live at the Persian. Yes. <laughs> is one of those ones for me that. I could I could eat off of that every day for, probably for the rest of my life and find something new in it. And it's mm -hmm. cool. For me, it's um, Bill Evans at Village Vanguard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just it's too beautiful. It's just incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Emmett, for this I wonderful. I can give you a third. You want the third or? It is the third. Yes. What's the third one? <laughs> you, gave me, you gave me the third. <laughs> Um, I think I would I would go something um, a little more heavy and a little a little more big bandy and choose Duke Ellington mm -hmm. uh, black brown and beige background and beige okay black brown and beige black brown and beige well we will have to check so, that one out which goes with the theme of today yes it it kind of does for sure and um, we hope that the border opens and that you and your trio can come play in Vancouver. <laughs> I'll be back soon. Thank when you. it's safe to do so. Um, we'd love to hear an arrangement of Take the A Train. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So, again, um, they can find you on all sorts of social media. And what is your website so that our audience knows where to go? 
EmmettCohen.com, E-M-M-E-T-C-O-H-E-N.com. Fantastic. And um, please join Emmett and his trio, uh, which is uh, Russell Hall and Kyle Poole, on Mondays, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. And it's not too early for a drink at that time. (laughs) Thank you so much, Emmett, for this conversation. And um, we appreciate your time and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Jen. Take care now. Thank you.